Our merciful and gracious, more gracious with us than we are with ourselves, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just pray, we pray, that you would interact with us through your word today so that we would really understand that today is the first day of praising you forevermore. And that every day, from here on, we would be inspired and wake up with thanks in our heart for what you went through for us. And that we wouldn't let that ever become ho-hum. And that we would be inspired and empowered by that same power that rose you from the dead after you had died on that cross for our sins. So Lord Jesus, that may sound like uh, gibberish to a lot of people in our world, but to us, it's not. And we want it to be the lifeblood of our lives. And so Lord Jesus, thank you for being here. We can already sense that. And just ask that you would, in fact, show us what you want to show us. If there's anything said today that you really would rather we just forget, just you erase it from our minds. But May you show us what your word, what you want to teach us today, the word from you in this love letter called Scripture to us. I'll give you all the praise and the thanks for that, and may we go out here shining like stars in the night sky. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> it's good to see you all today. Uh, and if you're new with us or recently here, it's good to see you too. It's really good to see you. And if you're a person even uh, who isn't sure what you think of the Bible and Jesus and church and not sure how you got here, all that kind of stuff, this is a good day to be here because you may be surprised what you find out from uh, what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians today. Um, partly because a lot of people have this idea that Christians are a bunch of people who think they've got it all together and everybody else needs to get it together, Right? Yeah, see, that's pretty funny. Uh, the, the reality is that um, what you might, you will be surprised to know that uh, what most people think we think is not what we really think. Not even what we think we think. We, we just don't think that we've got everything all together. Now, if that's the first time you've heard a person like me say that from up front, you're about to hear somebody that you never thought would say that in the Scripture, a guy named Paul. And, and, and the reality is <clears throat> that... Um, sometimes the Christian life can be difficult, right? I mean, that key, actually, I, I've talked to a lot of people. I talked to one friend a few years ago, not that many years ago, uh, who I said, you know, so you believe in God, right? Yeah, I believe there's a God, yeah. Well, why don't you follow Jesus? He says, I just, I just can't. I said, why? He said, because the Christian life's too hard. He said, how can anybody consistently live that? And the reality is, is a lot of people think that, and, and when we get into it as Christians, we say, Whoa, you didn't tell me about that part, right? Because it, sometimes it can be difficult. But what I want you to understand is Paul, for the last chapter at least, and really from the beginning of, of Philippians, has been defanging that dragon. The dragon that somehow you got to do it on your own, and somehow uh, you just can't, um, you can't live the Christian li life because it's just too hard. He's actually addressing that, and today he's going to completely defang the dragon. But to, to get sort of his train of thought, I want to go back to what we saw last week. Remember last week we saw that Paul just kind of busts out into this poem or this Jesus hymn about Jesus coming to, to, coming to earth and coming to um, in the incarnation. 
And, and remember, he said right here, he said, he did not consider equality with God something to hang on to and use to his own advantage. Remember that? In fact, he goes all the way down to death. He adds humanity to his divinity. He's all God and 100% human. He adds it, and he goes to the bottom of the pit called death. And Paul says, even death on the cross, the most disgusting way to ever die that's ever been invented. But then all of a sudden, he starts going on the upswing. He starts coming back up. You see, this is, I was corrected at, uh, between services from a mathematician, actually. This is a bell curve, not an upside-down parabola. I said that for sort of, this bell curve, but that's, that's, that's really what the issue is. And, and he's on the rise because he's not just raising out of the dead. He's raising out of the tomb. He's raising out of this earth. And one day, he will be recognized for who he is and where he is right now, seated at the right hand of God, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Bam. So it goes all the way. And that's actually what Paul, the reason he busts into that is he's saying, you can be like Jesus Christ. Your life and you're living with him, the way of Jesus, you can live that. You can come out the other side of the deadness and the struggle and the sort of the dead man walking dystopia that so many people struggle with. Even Christians sometimes, you can come out of it. It's interesting to me that when he hits verses 9 and 10, he says, even death on the cross, and then the, the starts up again. It's right there that we sort of get hung up, right? Because you know, that's usually about the time when we die to ourselves, we give our lives to Christ, and then somehow, you know, we look at the hill and we're going, oh, oh, whoa, right? I had a psychologist, Christian psychologist, a friend tell me one time that when people are severely depressed, that's the point you got to watch because it's not when they're down in the dumps, really in the dumps, it's a dangerous time. It's when they've got a little bit of energy and starting to come out of it and they look at the hill, but it, it, which, where you have to surround them with people and love and tell them, hey, you're not alone, we're walking in this together and so forth. And, and I'm not saying Christians are all a bunch of severely depressed people. You know, I take depression seriously because I know it's something many people struggle with. But the reality is, is that what, what Paul is saying here is, no, you're not, this is not all on you. No, no, you're, you're, what, what, do you, what do you do? Think about what would you say to somebody like my friend when they say, ah, oh, the Christian life's just too hard. That's why I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. What if it's looking at it the wrong way? What if it's the view? What if it's that we don't realize there's some resource that is available to us that we just kind of blew off and we, or we forgot or whatever? What if that's the case, that it's really possible to live Jesus' way and to live above and beyond, whether you're living above and beyond, you know, great circumstances or suffering or whatever else, but that this thing called joy that Paul keeps talking about, he's going to talk about again and again, what if it's possible to have that no matter what because you're living the way of Jesus? That sounds pretty cool to me. So open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If, if you've got them, otherwise you can follow along on the screen. Uh, you're welcome to use those little screens too if you want to. Just turn off the ringer, please. Um, but, but in Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up today. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start back in chapter 2 in a couple of verses that we didn't, we didn't uh, hit. In fact, let me just um, kind of review where we've been in the last chapter. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul tells us in uh, verses 1 to 5 that we're a community together. That we're not alone. We've got somebody to watch our back. That we, we, if, if there's any love, if there's any spirit that binds us together, if there's any togetherness in that, then 
make sure that you, you, know, you, 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 uh, you live that out and be there for each other. I mean, that sounds really cool. And then he comes into Jesus and the, and the bell curve, and, and, and like, you know, yeah, maybe down, but it's always coming back up. And, and, and that sounds cool. And then he, he goes into something very interesting. He starts to say, hey, and you know what's possible? Even if the world and you're living in a dark age, a difficult time or a dark moment in your life or in, in your, your, your country or world or whatever, even in that time, it's possible to have the light in your life so that you actually shine. And people are going, whoa, what's different about that person? And that sounds really cool. And then in verses 17 to 18, which we didn't cover last week, Paul starts to talk about his own situation and his suffering. And you know what? In the midst of talking about his suffering, he uses the word rejoice four times. Four times in just two verses. And that's cool. And he goes on to talk about himself and two other guys as an example of, you know, in different ways and how their lives have gone different directions in terms of being able to live the Jesus way, but it's all in the same direction. It's all together, okay? And the other two guys are named Timothy, whom I'll concentrate on uh, just to sort of pull out what Paul's trying to say here as he sets up chapter 3. Uh, but another guy named Epaphroditus, which we'll maybe talk about in the future. He's a, uh, a Philippian guy, a guy from Philippi, who uh, he, he uh, wanted to let the folks know how he was doing. And, but he, even he has this amazing testimony about what Jesus has done in his life. But look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 2, because he says, Here's what Timothy, you know, Paul's spiritual son, Timothy, here's what Paul is seeing in his life. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. In other words, apparently Timothy, like father, like son, he loved this church just like Paul loved this church. For everyone looks for out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the word like him, those two words going together, because uh, uh, maybe a, a little better translation of that, I have no one else who is like-souled with me. Paul's describing what community is like, what Christian community is like, about being like-souled. We're moving in the same direction. Our souls are connected. Yeah, we don't have all the same beliefs. We don't have, I mean, all, all the same opinions. We don't have all the same ideologies, maybe, and, and stuff like that, but we've got something higher than that. We've been knitted together in our souls, and we're moving in the same direction for the sake of Christ. But the, the, the thing that is the kicker is the second verse, verse 21. Everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is Timothy looks out first for the interests of Christ, and that that's the, that's the foundation. That's the launch pad. That's the thing that launches all of the, of the Christian life, of the way of living with Jesus in our lives and with living with each other. It's Jesus first. Resilient Jesus followers, in other words, look out for the interests of Christ first over their own. And, and what they find is that all of their stuff, get, they get swooped up in it with him when they do that. We're, but we're not there yet. We're, we're seeing that's the, the swoop on the rise, on the upside, on the rise, okay? But we're not there yet. But Paul wants to lay this foundation, this launch pad, if you will, that this is where it all starts, is having a Christ-first attitude. Now, you, you, you look at that, and still, and it's like, oh, yeah, man, that, how do you do that in a, in a world that is so self-focused and so, you know, it's almost like the new morality, quote, it's, it's not really new, it's an old morality that was pulled out of the, the snake's mouth, actually, <laughs> and uh, 
and dust it off, and now people are starting to believe it, that it's, you know, looking out for my own interest first, and my own autonomous world, and my truth, and my thing, and all that, that's, that's really, you know, that's the way you should live, and, and if you contradict me in any way, or ask me a question about that, you're, you're, you're being a mean person, right? And, and how do you live that in a world? Because the reality is, it's not just us, but non-believers, all, all kinds of people, we all have stuff going on. And we, you know, we, we all have, how, how do you live the Christian life and, and, and really the way of Jesus? How do, you, how do you live that out when you've got, uh, you know, work to do so you can make a livelihood, when you've got decisions to decide, when you've got votes to make, when you've got uh, family to straighten out, when you've got, you know, relationships to deal with? And that's not to speak of football to watch, you know, or, or uh, Senate hearings to mock or... Uh, soccer to take your kids to all the time? I, I mean, if you're in that age group, parents, I, you know, I feel your pain because it was a personal problem. One year, Sharon and I had three kids in soccer, all in different leagues, and their games on Saturday were all in different parts of the Willamette Valley. I feel your pain. But I'm free now, so I'll pray for you. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, that's brutal, isn't it? Uh, but, but the reality is, is he's saying, no, no, this is the way that it begins to raise all the eyes off ourselves. It's possible in this world, even in this world, in this cultural moment, to get our eyes off ourselves and onto Christ. And what we discover almost immediately is it's such a better way to live than constantly getting mine and going after mine and you know, the rat race. It's just a completely different way to live, and it gives an entirely new meaning to life. Let me, let me give you a, um, a little commercial here, okay? We started Think, Question, Believe, uh, the apologetics ministry last Thursday night. We're doing it again this week, and, and uh, I'm not going to tell you who's teaching that night, but his, his initials might be Dwayne. So uh, next week, we're going to talk about meaning. We're going to talk about, specifically, the value of a person. Because I'm going to use a postmodern term from uh, Jacques Derrida, by the way. That doesn't matter, does it? Um, about how the human person, have you noticed how people and the way people view people has sort of been deconstructed? Just kind of reduced. And that's, God never meant for people to be reduced like that. So how do you, how do you know what your meaning in his life and, and what are the clues, what are the evidence that it's true? That's what we're going to deal with. So just encourage you to, to be there for that. But that's kind of where Paul is going. And, and, and uh, look when he starts chapter 3 then. He tells us, I know the ways that we all try to make something of ourselves, make something of our lives, and, and make something of our relationship with God. He, he says, I've tried. I've tried to make God like me by being the best God follower I possibly could. And from a human perspective, people went, wow, you know, he's something. But really, I suddenly realized on the Damascus Road that I really stunk at it. Look what he says. For my brothers and sisters... Rejoice, there's the word again, in the Lord. Not just, you know, be happy, don't worry, be happy. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard to you. A safeguard? Yeah, apparently joy, rejoicing, is a safeguard for our hearts and for our faith. It's like the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's really true. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Ooh, wouldn't want to be one of those guys. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about false teachers specific from a, a, a Judaic persuasion. 
And when he says the flesh here in verse 2, he's talking about physical flesh, and he's going to explain it right here, verse uh, 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. Okay, he's talking about that. We, we men, women, boys, and girls of, 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 who are Jesus followers, we're the, really, the people who are, are marked out as God's. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this time he uses flesh in a different way. It's a metaphorical thing for uh, the, uh, the efforts and the energy and the ignorance and everything we put in, into trying to live uh, you know, as human beings from a human level, doing it all on my own without any of God's help, without anybody else's help. He's saying, that's flesh. That's a metaphor for flesh, those efforts. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. He said, I myself have tried it this way. Second half of verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was one of the best Hebrews ever. In regard to the law, the Pharisee, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. I got up every morning, checked off my list, prayed, check, read my Bible, check, told somebody where they needed to get their act together, check, right? That's kind of what he's saying. But then it changes. And what changes is he was on this road called the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden this bright light showed up, knocked him off his horse, and a voice came out and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Acts chapter 9, you might want to look it up. Verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider, notice consider, because it's going to show up again, I consider those things loss for the sake of Christ. What's what's he saying for here? He's saying, for the sake of Christ that I might be found in him. See, this road to Damascus thing really changed him. In fact, he says, I consider, I consider, I consider three times. He says, you know what that means? It means to consider, it means to think, but it means to hold a view. It means I have completely changed my value system of what's really valuable in life. It's changed. I, I hold a completely different view than I had before. In other words, it really does start with ourselves and the view that we have of ourselves. What do we think about ourselves and how often do we think about ourselves? That's what he's saying. And he says, my, my view and my way of approaching that and my way of life has completely changed in that regard. In other words, the old way of saying it, that when I heard as a kid, I'd hear preachers say this all the time, the battle really is in your mind. And, and by and large, that's true. It is in your mind. It's what you think and what you view, and how you view yourself and how you view God and if you realize that he is God and I'm not. And, 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 and how do you view yourself? But I know in a postmodern age in which we live, that many times falls on deaf ears. Because people don't think about the mind and thinking and thought and truth and reasoning anymore as much. What they think about is their feelings. And I'm, I'm not putting people down here. I'm just saying that's really the way people, their first place to look to decide how are they doing is how they feel about something and how they feel about their life. Now, I'll, I will tell you, it's, much, it's a much more difficult climb up out of the bottom of the bell curve. It's a much more difficult climb when you're basing your life on how you feel about it. Because the problem is when you're down there in the bottom, you do not feel very well about it. 
rather than thinking. But it is possible for a person who's a good postmodern person and basing their life on feelings before they look at the truth or look at the reasons for those feelings, right? It is possible, and if you're a person who's a good postmodern person, I'd just say this, or if you know somebody who is, you'd just say, you know what, you can still meet Jesus because it's going to take a surprise. It's going to take something outside yourself that's so dramatic that you, you understand that this is not, what you've been thinking is not the way it is. What you've been feeling, rather, is not the way it is. And, and uh, you, you can simply talk postmodern language to somebody who's sharing it with you, or you know, if you're a person here who's kind of in this, this vein, you can say, you, you, can, you can just pray a prayer simply like this to God. God, if you're for real, Jesus, if you're for real, I will lay aside all my thoughts, all my feelings, all the ideologies, all my accomplishments. I'll lay that all aside and put it over here in the lost column and let you just change me. If you just will show me you're real, if you'll just show up in my life, and if you mean that prayer, hang on to your hat because he's going to show up. And Paul is saying, that's what happened to him. He was going one way, religiously, emotionally, you know, driven, driven, driven. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up with the light. Boom, hey, why are you persecuting me? Right? Dramatic change. So what I'm saying to you is maybe this age in which we live isn't such a bad age after all because maybe there's an apostle Paul lurking around out there somewhere. Not that Scripture needs any more buddy writing it, but, I mean, somebody of that caliber and leadership, because that's, that could be the thing, because that's the, kind of the way that Paul experienced it. But also notice he says that I, I, I consider it all, three times he says, consider, consider, consider all my accomplishments, everything, and, and all the things that make me feel good about myself, blah, blah, blah. I consider all that garbage, because it's not worth it anymore. Put it in the garbage pile. And if you've heard me go through this verse before, you know that the word garbage means something different a little bit. It means the grossest kind of garbage. It means the kind of garbage that if you're the parent of a young preschooler who is still in diapers, you see this particular kind of garbage every day. Did that, was that, does that connect at all? I mean, I, I, as a grandparent, I see that particular kind of garbage quite often now. But Paul's saying, and, and, and that's the kind of garbage I consider, all my effort, everything else, that's really what it is. In other words, what he's saying is another thing about resilient Jesus followers. Resilient Jesus followers blow off their errant thoughts and feelings because they realize this isn't true, this isn't getting me anywhere. They blow that off, especially those thoughts and feelings about the past. You know why? Because the past, P-A-S-T, is past, P-A-S-S-E-D. It's over, it's gone, and, 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 and that's the beautiful thing about forgiveness, isn't it? Because all that junk doesn't drag around with you anymore. And, 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 and Paul is saying, I reject all my efforts to live a, a, a spiritual life without God. I reject that. I leave it aside. I even reject the thoughts that were leading me down the wrong path. In fact, in our day and age, in the world in which we live, there's a, a couple of verses that have really become my life verses, I think. I, you, it doesn't mean you have to have them, but this kind of defines what living for Christ, living for Jesus, being a Jesus follower, is in our time. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
verses 4 and 5. It says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, he's saying, we're not, we're not flesh and blood battling people here. We're not being violent in that way, but in the spiritual realms and strongholds, the things that keep people is held back in their minds and hearts, that's what we're battling. And how do you do that, Paul? Well, we demolish arguments and every pretension and every argument and pretension to myself as well as in other people, in fact, first in myself, we demolish them this way, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take it captive, every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. Jesus, what do you think about this one? I just discovered this one, about, uh, the, the thought I had. What do you think about that thought that I had? Or, 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 you know, what do you think about this thing that I just read or saw on the news or, or whatever? You know, and, and when we discuss them here, because again, we're doing this in community. But think about this. Think about the wonder, the, the moment that we are in, in our world and in our culture, in our time. What if it's not such a downer in the sense, I mean, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying the chaos we saw the last two weeks is great. And if you miss the chaos and all the, the gong show that was going on in D.C., don't worry, it'll come back. You'll, you'll get it again. But what if it's not a fearful thing? What if it's a moment to see the resilient people of Jesus shine brighter? What if it's a chance in the darkness to shine brighter? Because you know what? In the, in the brightness, when everything's great, and please understand me, I'm not saying we should work for chaos. I'm not saying we should go looking for trouble. But when everything's great, nobody's caring, and the, the job numbers are up, and everything's awesome, and so forth, it's kind of hard to see the Jesus stuff. Because the light, the other light kind of drowns it out. Even though that's brighter and it burns better, it's really a lot like the stars, right? I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this this week when I was outside and suddenly dawned on me, you know, somebody, if anybody works for Happy Valley here and this is you, I apologize, okay, because you've got good reasons, I'm sure. Somebody decided it was a good, good idea to put a street light right out in front of my house. I'm sure there's good reasons, but I don't like it very much at night. Because you know why? I used to be able to go in my front yard. In my front yard, when all of you were safe in your houses and weren't driving up and down Mount Scott Boulevard, late at night on Sunday night, I used to be able to go in my front yard, look up in the sky. I see stars almost like this. I mean, it, it, you don't see it as much when it's in a bright sky, but this is a significant moment. This is a chance to be the people of God in that way. So what Paul's saying here is, look for the lights and then go be one. Because that's the, the, and the way you do that is to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ, shove all the stuff about what you think God ought to be doing and what you think it ought to be, shove it off and say, God, it's lost, what do you want? And you be the, you be the light. Well, back to, to Philippians chapter 3, uh, about five words into um, verse 9, and to be found in him, watch this, because he's, he's, he's saying Everybody, 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 everybody ties their life. Everybody bases their life on something or someone. Whether you believe in God or not, everybody does it. They can try to pretend they don't do it, but they do. Everybody bases their life on something, but here's the deal. Make sure what you're basing your life on, make sure what you're expecting to get you through, make sure it's worth your life. Because he says, not having a righteousness of my own, I realize that trying to base it on my own righteousness and my own efforts, 
that just wasn't worth my life. That comes from the law, but that uh, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. And you need to understand this too. You've got to pause here. When he says, I want to know Christ, he means I want to know him intimately. Because Paul's an Old Testament Hebrew guy. He's a Pharisee. He knew his Old Testament Bible. It was his Bible. He knew it backwards and forwards. He knew the Hebrew language. He could you know, rattle it off. He was a great intellect. And he knew that in the Old Testament, the word to know has a nature of intimacy to it. It's like Adam knew Eve, and they conceived a child. And he's not, he's not making it a sexual thing or anything like that, not at all. He's saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know him at that I want to know him deeply, and I want, I want, he, I want to know him as much as he knows me. And he knows a lot. He pretty much knows everything about me, right? And, and that's, that's, that's what he's saying. I want to know Christ like that. And yes... Watch this. To know the power of his resurrection. Talk about on the rise. And the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Notice what he says here about this resurrection power. You see, this power of the resurrection, it's a hard one for translators to translate because we don't really have a non-awkward way to state this compound word, because it's a compound word, two words put together. It doesn't just mean resurrection. It means out-resurrection. It means kind of shot-out resurrection. So Jesus is not only shot out from death to life, but he's kind of shot out of the tomb, but that's not all. He's also shot out of this earthly existence, even though he still maintains his humanity, and, and, and he keeps rising and rising, and he says, I want to know that kind of resurrection. Yes, at the end of time, when Paul dies, and when we die, if we're following Jesus, yes, we get to live for eternity. But he's saying, I want to know that power now. I want to know that power that is like, did I just say that? Did I? Did I just think that? Did I just handle that situation? Am I feeling joyful? I'm not supposed to. He wants that kind of power in his life. And, he, and, and, and that's um, exactly what he's saying. This resurrection thing, Paul is saying, it happened in space-time history, and it had a ripple effect throughout all of history. You know, it's kind of interesting. During Paul's day and about 150, 160 years before that, right after the Maccabean period, which ended about 160 B.C., from that time on, when the Maccabees were a bunch of Jewish guys that were in, in, in charge of Israel at the time, and then they lost their kingdom, and the Romans came in and just wiped them out. But ever since that time, there was one guy after another after another, one guru, one prophet, one spiritual leader, uh, mostly one military leader after another, many of whom, in fact, most of whom claimed to be the, quote, Messiah that they were all waiting for. But none of them, not one of them, claimed to have risen from the dead on their own steam. Not one religion, not one founder of a religion ever since has claimed to have risen from the dead on their own steam. This is different. Just like this is, and you'd expect that if this is a completely different philosophy of life, a completely different way of living, you'd expect that, that the founder would be completely different. And boy, howdy, is he different. Because he was out-resurrected, and Paul is saying that same power 
is possible to be in us. You see, I was trying to think about how to illustrate this, and I thought, well, let's uh, turn to Dwayne's demented version of the Scripture, and uh, let me tell you a paraphrase of what I think Paul's saying, particularly if Paul came back as, say, a Portland hipster or a surfer. Okay, here we go. Hey, look, man, I'm in prison. I'm going to suffer in this world. We all do. Even non-believers suffer. But I think it would be cosmically cool. See, that's the thing right there. If in the midst of all the suffering in the world, instead of being down, I could be resilient and show the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead right here, right now. You can't keep a Jesus person. You can't keep a Jesus church. You can't keep a Jesus people down. That's what he's saying. If, in fact, we really are and we're living that. You know, what he's trying to say is, again, another thing about Jesus, resilient Jesus followers, and it's this, Jesus, resilient Jesus followers ask him to kill off their old habits, hang-ups, and thoughts, and so that the new understanding, the new life, the new ex- experience of Jesus, that that can rise up so that we're on the rise again. Ask Jesus to kill that off on his cross. That's what he's saying. There's an interesting story. I don't know if we'll go uh, through it at Easter. I've been thinking about it. I'm not prophesying. I'm just thinking about it. But in Matthew 27, as soon as Jesus gives up the ghost on the cross, even before he's resurrected, do you know what Matthew says in Matthew 27? He tells the story, three verses, very short, just quick, like this happened, and you're going, huh? He says the graves cracked open in Jerusalem, and a bunch of people that had been in them came to life. We're walking around and then walked back into the city. And they were talking to people. People were recognizing, man, what would that be like? That'd be like Halloween stood on its head. Talk about trunk or treat. I mean, that's crazy, right? But that's a, what, what if that means that Jesus' cross and his resurrection is all one thing? And when the power was released, when he died and he beat back sin and death, that he was on his way to, 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 to conquering death as well. That that was the beginning of this out-resurrection power being set in motion, and even in physical lives at that point. I mean, God tore the the veil of the temple at that moment, and these graves cracked open. And and by the way, the veil wasn't this thin little veily thing. It was a thick piece of cloth, and it just ripped by itself. I mean, that's the out-resurrection that Paul is talking about. And he's saying, look, I've seen him. And I've talked to people that have seen him. This actually happened, and it can actually happen for you and for I as well. You see, joy, you're beginning to get the idea of what Paul is trying to make. This is sort of the hub. This is sort of the center of the book. This is, now, for the rest of the time, he's going to be talking about this, what, what out-resurrection does for us and what out-resurrection does in us and how God uses it to transform us and to change our society and to change our world and to change churches. I don't have anything... You know, I don't have any control over the churches, but I do have something to say to church, Eastridge. I mean, what, what, what would that look like here? Because Paul's saying this joy thing, we already said, it, you, you could almost translate it resilience, rejoicing resilience. But now we're beginning to understand it's the same concept to say resurrection. Again, being resurrected from that sort of dead man walking, that sense of spiritual deadness. Even sometimes Christians wrestle with, it's like, okay, God, where are you? And I, I, you, you know you're not living it right. 
That kind of thing can be turned around if we'll just open ourselves up to the possibility that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise our dead souls too. Not just in eternity. That'll be great. That'll be cool. But I don't tend to sit around and twiddle my thumbs until then. God says, I can start it right now. And look where Paul goes next. He makes a, he makes a stunningly humble statement. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. Say it again. Not that I have already obtained all this. Paul, you're the Apostle Paul. You wrote like half the New Testament. By this time, you've written two-thirds of that. Okay. Not that I've already obtained all this. The word obtained, by the way, means to grasp something, to hold fast to it. It's like a it's, it's, to, it's like that hand in your shoulder. Like when I was a kid and I was doing something I knew I wasn't supposed to do, either mother or father hand would go, Kunk! the claw would set in, right? And Paul's saying, I'm trying to grasp, you know, I, uh, I, I want to grasp it, and I haven't grasped that because I realize that's not the way to go about this. Or that I have already arrived at my goal. In other words, I still struggle too. The Apostle Paul struggles. If you wonder about how much he struggles, read Romans 7 sometime. We don't have time today, but read that. Not that I have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is past, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. Straining toward is like an athletic term, like going for the tape. I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And what's the prize? To be so close to Jesus that you, it's a natural, normal relationship to talk to him and you experience the power of his resurrection in, in your life because he just seems to pick you up and empower you and get your mind in the right place right every time when, you, when it needs to happen. You see, Paul uses these two terms. He says, to take hold of it. It means to be sna- to snatch. It's, I want to snatch it the way Jesus has snatched me out of the jaws of death. I want to snatch this life the way he's snatched me out of the jaws of death. And the, the word press on is a, a word that uh, came to be main pursue, like a hunter pursuing something in the woods, out hunting. And what he's saying is is that the reality is resilient Jesus followers take hold of Christ's vision for their lives, and that vision in itself is what propels us. That's what motivates us to keep going. Is that, wow, this really is real. This isn't just a bunch of theological gobbledygook. This is real, and he is here, and he really is really real, just like his resurrection is really, really real. See, this is something I think in our day and age, especially Christians need to remember, churches need to remember, and our church family needs to be remembering. That it's not on us. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the Christian life, going down that uh, bell curve and back up the other side, that, that's too hard by ourselves. It's just too much. 
But whoever said anything about ourselves, it's sure not in here. It's Jesus, by the empowerment of who he is, will lift us up and send us out in that launch pad of getting our eyes off ourselves. And all of a sudden, when we get our eyes onto Christ, we realize, whoa, I didn't realize this was possible. I never saw all this. So I'm going to call the band out here, and I just want to ask you to ask a question that Paul is asking, that Paul has asked, that every Christian sometime in their life has to ask. And sort of a variation of a question that every person has to ask, Christian or not, in their life sometime. But here it is. Sometime during your prayer time this week or your devotions or sometime just sit yourself down and ask this question. And in a sense, when asking your question, you're, you're, asking, God, you're asking God to kind of speak into this, okay? Can you say honestly that you know Christ more deeply this year than you did last year? Or than you did three years ago? Or than you did five years ago? Because here's the thing. From a human perspective even, whenever you make any effort, any, you know, like Paul's told us about his efforts here, anything, you can accomplish more in five years than you think you can, and you can usually accomplish considerably less than you think you can in one year. So let's just keep that in perspective. But perspective gets blown up here because we don't have just a human way of thinking about this anymore. We have the out-resurrection power of Jesus living in us. That's at our disposal. It's there. He says he's put it in us. So ask God to reveal that to you. Say, I want to know you like that, Jesus. I want to know you like that. Because here's the thing. The, the scriptures, this is a completely different way of life. This is a completely different philosophy of life, this thing called the way of Jesus, the Christian life. It really is. We try to kind of sync it up with everybody. No, no syncing up. It's a completely different way. It's unique in the world. And the thing is, the New Testament says, if you don't know about it, you're not responsible for it. it, it there's several passages that kind of allude to that principle. It doesn't actually say it that way. But now having been here this morning, now you know what this life is, and now you know that it's different. So now you are responsible. Aren't you glad you came today? But I just, if our whole church family could just pray that and, and, and ask him to reveal to us, in us, and together with us, and, and somebody who's having trouble with that question of knowing Christ and so forth deep, more deeply this year than last year, you know, that we come alongside each other and we help each other. Why? Because we're like-souled. And we don't have our minds all about ourselves and our own world and our own families. We have our minds thinking about, hey, how can I live for Christ? How can I care for you? How can I care for my friends? And then we really will, because it's so different, we really will shine like stars in the night sky that Paul promised last week. Let me pray for us as we do. Heavenly Father and our dear Lord Jesus, we know that we can't do this. We, we, it's not on us, but if we could do it, it wouldn't be very cool anyway. <laughs> so Lord, we just put ourselves at your feet. We, as Paul said, we take every thought or every belief system or every idea or every ideology that somehow we can do this on our own and really live the way we know in our hearts that we were always meant to. And we make it obedient to Christ. So Lord, I pray that as we go out of here, we really will have that sense of you really are here and you really are speaking into our lives and that you are ready to answer that question 
about how close we are to you, and I pray that you'd take away that fear that somehow you're going to just chop us up if we ask it. But that we would realize that you really are more gracious with us than we are even with ourselves. And that you will lead us to yourself into ways that we have no idea were possible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hearing our praise and our worship of you today. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.